Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Before we get started this week, here's a word from our sponsor. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery Delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Hey guys, and welcome to Moms and Murder, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm actually doing great this week. Yeah? How about you? I'm fine. Okay. I'm fine. It's all fine. (laughs) Yeah. Good. Busy. Life's busy. I have to find a house, Mandy. I still don't have a house. I'm sort of panicking. So when you talk about how great your life is, mine's in shambles right now. Congratulations. I'm sorry for asking. No. (laughs) I'm good. Life is good. Um, One quick announcement. We've done our big Patreon thing for the month. Don't say big. Well, (laughs) it's not big. 
<laughs> it depends on how you judge size and how you judge <laughs> happiness. So it really depends. Could be a total flop. We decided to do like a video this month and we did, we covered a reality show thing that Mandy was forced to sit through. And it was like a lot of reality. It was a British reality thing and um, a Real Housewives. So one of the better days of my life, one of the better moments of my life. But um, if you want to check that out uh, and see what else we have on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash moms and murder podcast. Thanks so much everyone who is supporting us on there. If you're not supporting us on there, that's okay too. If you want to, that's where you find us. Right? Right. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. Okay, great. <laughs> Let's get started. Let's do it. So today we're going to be talking about um, Dana Pastore, and she was born in Dayton, Ohio, after her mother got pregnant following a short-lived affair. So she kind of grew up and didn't really know her real father. He wasn't in her life. Um, her mother was just a single mom. And in October of 1992, she was, of course, an adult by this point, um, she was living in Pensacola, Florida with her husband, Frank, and there are two young daughters who have since made an effort to hide their identity, so I'm not going to say their names. But this family had a beautiful home. They had a beautiful life from outward appearances. If you were to look at them and their two little little girls, you would just think they were a, a well-off family, um, yeah. basically. So Dana's biological father, his name was Peter Surratt, contacted her at some point. This is when her children are young. She's um, living in Pensacola. And he... I guess, found her and had just contacted her and said, hi, I'm your dad, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how that works. That would be such an awkward conversation. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> a lot to take in. It is. It is a lot. I, I honestly don't even know how I would react to something like that. So he told her that she had some half siblings and the youngest one was named Kathy and she wanted to meet Dana. So she traveled from South Carolina to Florida to meet up with her. And they had kind of an emotional reunion. I guess not a reunion. It was just a union. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> yeah, because they'd never met before. Um, but they they enjoyed meeting each other. They laughed and hugged and like they I live, said, laugh, love. They did. They did. And Kathy uh, thought Dana had it all. Like I said before, she saw her, what kind of life she had and kind of just thought, like, wow, I'm you know I'm happy I met my half sister here and she's doing well. She's doing well. Exactly. She has a great life. Uh, but things weren't as they seem to be. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Are they ever? No. Not in anything we cover or Dateline stories or basically anything. If you're listening to a true crime podcast, it's, it's not the way it looks. No. no. <laughs> Dana was a very spiritual person, and she told Kathy as they began to talk and connect that um, that was not something her husband really appreciated. She was very into um, spirituality, not really religion, but um, that the – Earth has a name and the wind also is your brother. I don't really <laughs> quite understand. There's a lot going on there. But so her, um, so she just believed in these things and her husband did not appreciate it. She felt like he did not understand her. And that's hard if you have a belief system and your spouse doesn't agree with it. Right. Yeah. So that I can that's see kind that of can a deal trouble. Yeah. Say. Yeah. It depends. Some people it can work and then other people it just doesn't. So, Dana decided to, at some point, leave her husband and children in Florida to go live in New Orleans. She felt like living in New Orleans, that is a very spiritual city. There's a lot of tarot cards and, you know, psychics and all that kind of Vampire stuff. Vampire cults. Vampire cults. The chicken man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's where you go. So um, she wanted to actually start uh, reading tarot cards for a living. So she's giving up kind of everything to follow this dream that she has. And at this point, she thinks that she is clairvoyant and, you know, all the things that kind of go into this spirituality that she was into at this point. This week, our story really takes place in New Orleans. And guess what, Mandy? It's time for? I've yelped the city. We've yelped the city. <laughs> Let's do it. So I looked up some facts on New Orleans. If you're from the States, you're probably somewhat familiar, but there's stuff I didn't know. And if you're from outside of the U.S. Hello. And also, you might not know this stuff, or you might. You probably know more than I do. It's fine. It's, I'm used to it. So New Orleans is located in the heart of Louisiana and is the largest city in the state with over 391,000 residents. We're still 277. Is that what Orlando is? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so it's bigger. Nice. It's a little cushioner. Cushion. More people. That surprises me it for some too. reason. It is, too. I know. I know. Me, too. That seemed like 
I mean, and like a third more than we have. Yeah, that's I'm a lot. starting to feel like we live in a small town and I never I even realized I it. <laughs> this is really a revelation for me. <laughs> so in New Orleans, one thing that's kind of interesting is the cemeteries. The graves are actually above water because much of the city is below sea level. So we saw that when Hurricane Katrina came through and you have all this flooding. Obviously, it's better to have the bodies not underground to come up later I from once s- they come. That would be terrifying. I just, I mean. Just picturing that in your brain sense, is a little much. But, but it's weird. Like, it we don't weird. have that. We do have those, like, wall things. Like, you know how you can have a loved like one. a mausoleum? In a, well, it's called a wall thing, Mandy. I'm pretty sure. Uh, duh. <laughs> mausoleum nobody uses that word it's a wall thing it's a wall thing at a grave where dead people go so so back to what we up this city so new orleans is widely known for its annual mardi gras celebration mardi gras takes place 47 days before easter and it's a celebration before the start of lent and lent is a good old catholic holiday and Mardi Gras is not a religious holiday. No, it's not. But the idea of Mardi Gras being like you get one last party in before you give something up for Lent. So that's kind of where that it does not from. seem like it makes a lot of sense. No, it doesn't. It's like, well, all right. But I guess any reason to have a party at Mardi Gras. But the first Mardi Gras celebration was actually held in Mobile, Alabama. Oh, I'm not sure why that changed, but that's where it started. So didn't know that. You learned something, Can Mandy. you imagine if Mobile, Alabama was like this iconic like Mardi Gras city? Yeah. No, that doesn't seem right at all. That seems so yeah, strange. Yeah, yeah, so okay. strange. So, and New Orleans is the uh, site of the devastating hurricane, Hurricane Katrina in 2005. You guys will remember that. Really, wherever you lived, it was terrible and heartbreaking. I remember watching it. You watched it come in, you know, you're watching the Weather mm-hmm. Channel and waiting, waiting for news and it was just upsetting. But this week's story actually has some ties to Hurricane Katrina. So when Dana gets to New Orleans, she kind of feels like this is where she's meant to be. Like that's, they're very accepting of her. They're accepting of what she's wanting to do. And um, she just felt, I guess, like she was at home. She was working on street corners and began reading cards. So she was reading tarot cards. That was how she was making her living. And during this whole time, she really intended to get custody of her children and bring them to live with her. Um, A year passed, and she did not have her kids with her, but she was seeing them as she could and was communicating with them. Um, In April of 1995, the divorce was finalized with Frank, and Frank actually got custody of the girls. And I would imagine that's got to be kind of because she probably doesn't have the stability that you know. Well, yeah, it's hard looking for right. It's hard to prove to a judge that you are fit as a parent when you have basically abandoned them and went and lived in another state and yeah. are doing, you know, whatever it is. Um, well, the, and the father has had them full time since then. Yeah. So of course I feel like priority is going to go to the father when it comes to a custody. Yeah. You know, the judge is not going to say, okay, you've been, you know, seeing them on the weekends for the last year, but sure, I'm going to give you full custody. That's not how it works. Yeah. But a lot of times they do look at, and there's, been all kinds of controversy over this and talks about this, but the moms typically do in custody things, or at least that's how it used to be, at least at this time, would normally be granted. So if for them not to give her custody, they really had to have seen that maybe she couldn't provide for them the way that the dad could. Right. Really. So I actually read that the girls were four and two um, at oh, this man. time. So they were really young. They were little. Yeah. That's a lot to have two kids on your own anyway. And if yeah. you're I'm assuming if you're reading tarot cards and stuff, you don't have office hours, you know, on the side of the road. So she's just got to work as much as she can to make money. Yeah. So Dana continued to visit her girls and spoke to them on the phone. And she would make the drive from New Orleans to Pensacola often to see them. So that wasn't a very long drive. I believe Pensacola is up in the panhandle of Florida. So it's basically not even part of our state. It is, Mandy. <laughs> I used to go to Pensacola all the time. It's totally part of our state. It's a I beautiful part of our state. I forget about it. I'm sorry. I just, I'm down Such here. Such an in my, elitist. <laughs> down here in my own little world. Down here in, in your own in central, central Florida, Florida. The only part of Florida that exists. <laughs> that's not, it, that's not good for us. We need that. We need the panhandle to look better in this state. Anyway, this was like a three or four hour drive. It wasn't that far. So three months after her divorce, Frank remarried a woman named Karen, and the two of them moved to Ohio with the two little girls. So Karen was allegedly abusive towards the kids, and Frank, I guess, allowed it to happen. 
Um, months later in December of 1995, the girls went to visit Dana in New Orleans and she noticed that they had bruising and they kind of were exhibiting some behavioral changes and they seemed just scared and anxious and she didn't really know why. So in January of 1996, Dana took the kids for psych evaluations and the doctors confirmed that yes, they had been abused and they said that they felt the girls were too timid and scared to go back home to their father and stepmother. So Dana called, I mean, she's panicking at this point. Right. I would be too. You're talking about very small children. Yeah. And these are her children, Mm -hmm. you know? And so the thought of that, of like, my children's like stepmother hurting them that way. Like yeah. I can imagine that she just saw red and was like, I'm not sending them back. Yeah. For that. Um, so she called her half sister, Kathy to talk about the idea of running away with her girls. And her ultimate goal was going to be to make it across the Canadian border. So hopefully she wouldn't be extradited. Exactly. Um, which I don't think, Wait, is, I don't think extradited. <laughs> well, yeah. The idea being they wouldn't send, send her, her back. back. Yeah. Pretty, <laughs> I got very formal. Pretty sure Canada cooperates with U.S. authorities on things like that. Well, I don't know what the we don't we just don't know the laws there. They could. I know for like a, I think the big thing in Canada is if you are going to go back to a death penalty state and you've committed murder, they won't send you back. OK, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe. I feel like that's it. But besides that, I have no idea. So according to a blog that I found that was written by one of Dana's daughters now currently, um, they she said that they spent about 18 months on the run with their mother during wow. that time. And they kind of moved all over the place. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But they actually moved to like a few different states. They lived in Puerto Rico for a while. Um, they yeah. were just all over the place. I mean, I guess they had to be to avoid right. being spotted or, you know, anything like that. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Well, and that's so hard because – even if she's taking them out of the situation, the law looks at it like kidnapping. Kidnapping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so what's the right answer? You know, if they go back, they're going to be abused. So you're not going to send them back. But now you're on the run. So I get, I as a mom, I totally get why she did what she did. Yeah, I do. So they lived in New Orleans for a while. And her daughter that Mandy mentioned before has written in her blog that she has memories that aren't so great living in rough conditions during that time. She remembers having pink eye a lot and, you know, just kind of being less than stellar living conditions for little ones. Yeah. Um, And Dana and her girls, as Mandy said, moved several times over that year and a half. They lived in Puerto Rico. As Mandy said, they eventually moved to Seattle. And she would, Dana would actually contact her sister Kathy every once in a while to let her know that they were okay. I'm guessing that she wasn't telling Kathy where she was because- Probably not. Kathy could easily tell someone. So I would understand why she wouldn't do that. Late in December of 1996, Dana was spotted in Seattle. There was an FBI agent that called her father to let her know that they were closing in on her at this point, and he advised her to turn herself in or she would face up to 10 years in prison for kidnapping. So Christmas Day of 1996, Dana agrees to meet her father in Dayton, Ohio with the kids and face the consequences. Dana was arrested and the girls were put in foster care. It's just so heartbreaking. I have, do we know how long they were in foster care? I don't know because the father and stepmother eventually got them back. And this was something that the daughter wrote about in the blog. Um, She did write that they had spent a little bit of time in foster care. And then when they were returned to her father, um, they kind of lived on like a farm. They lived like this farm life. And she wrote in the blog about how she really was, they were treated really badly. I mean, that they were. I was hoping it wasn't true. Yeah. You know. But she wrote that they were like, like denied food and stuff like that. Like they were starved basically. And that the stepmother would really beat them for no reason at all. You know, any, any little thing, just even like the, and this is all stuff that she put in her blog. We don't have anything. I don't have any way of proving this. This is all very alleged. Exactly. This (laughs) is alleged. Um, but says that the stepmother would just fly off at the handle and any small thing would set her off and, um, just stuff that kids do, you know, if you acted up in a store, well that you would get home and like, you would really get it, you know, and just stuff like that. And that it was just really awful. Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure if they put them in foster care because they knew that the situation, like they had done any research and realized like, oh, it wasn't a good situation for the kids instead of sending them to like the grandfather stuff. Like when you have these options, it just seems kind of strange. Like you have your Aunt Kathy, there's options. I just always hate when foster care is the first, like that's, 
that's tough for kids to not be with people that they know. Yeah, no, I agree. So the reason that uh, Melissa said that an FBI agent had called Dana's father to basically tell him, you know, tell your daughter that we're coming for her and to turn herself in was because he was a former law enforcement. So he had some connections and he actually used those connections to have Dana released from jail and into his custody. So she lived with her father in South Carolina for a while and her sister Kathy would go and visit and they would spend many nights just up talking and and drinking wine and kind of getting closer and, you know, growing their relationship. And at some point, Dana told Kathy about her gift in tarot card reading, and she asked Kathy if it would be okay if she read her tarot cards. So Kathy doesn't believe in this, but is going to humor her and says, sure, you can read my tarot cards. So Dana told Kathy that she, based on her tarot cards, that she was going to be getting a divorce and she was going to lose all of her money. But in the end, it would be happy because she would end up meeting a man from another country that she would feel was her soulmate. So Kathy took it all with a grain of salt, but she alleges that everything came true. Yeah. So what do you make of that? (laughs) A broken clock hits the right time twice a day. I mean, it just happens. (laughs) I don't have a lot of thoughts on that. So six months after her arrest, Dana was free to leave her father's home, but was sentenced to two years probation, which I thought was kind of a light sentence for literally 18 months on the run with two small children. Yeah. Um, And like you said, like, you know, she was trying to protect them from a bad situation, but also you can't do that. Yeah. You can't take that's so hard. It reminds me of the movie John Q where he <laughs> did oh you ever see that movie? I love that movie. Yeah. It's uh, me also too. so terrible. Like, but it's the same cry. idea where yeah. you're like you're kind of committing a crime to help your child. Basically, you do whatever you can for your kids. So right. I'm whatever. I'm fine with all of <laughs> all of the things she yeah. did there. I get it. <laughs> so she needed to get her life back in order. Of course, she needed to find a job. She needed to find a place to live. And she decided to go back to what she knew, and she moved back to New Orleans and went back to reading tarot cards on the corner down in the French Quarter on the street. So while she is reading tarot cards, she runs into an old friend that she knew um, from living there before, and his name was John Morgan. We know John Morgan, Mandy. We do. We do. He's a very, very famous attorney. Yeah, he's a very famous attorney in Orlando. What is he known for, Melissa? Well, he's known for a lot of things that have nothing to do with the law, but his big catchphrase is Morgan and Morgan for the people. Right. Yeah. So I don't want to make fun of attorneys because I'm scared of him. He is the most powerful man in Orlando. So, you know, he's a lawyer and that's all we really need to know. And he scares me. Yeah. Yeah. He's like friends with Obama. There's like a whole lot going on there. I'm staying out of out of his crosshairs. So the couple was said to be very happy. And John was also, I guess, a spiritual person like Dana. So she really liked that. Um, He was also into tarot cards. And Dana really felt that they were soulmates. Um, And Kathy said that she was really happy for Dana. Dana seemed really happy and like her life was moving forward. And, you know, she finally found this person that she wanted to be with. They both had a steady income from reading tarot cards, which I don't understand how you have a study income reading. I'm moving to New Orleans this weekend. That's the case. (laughs) Like, really? (laughs) Yeah, apparently. Um, Yeah, so apparently they were doing fine. um, But Dana wanted to save money to get custody of her kids, um, and so they started working at the Quartermaster Deli in the French Quarter. Uh, John was working there before, and then Dana got a job there as a cashier to start saving money to work on that process. Which, how do you get custody of your kids after you've been convicted of? kidnapping them. That's going to be an uphill battle. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Well, thank you for agreeing. (laughs) (laughs) So they both actually worked the graveyard shift at this deli, which I imagine in New Orleans, it's just... Scary? Have you ever been to New Orleans? No, I haven't. Mm -mm. I have gone. um, My husband and I went with a friend of mine because her family lives kind of in that area. And we went once it was so much fun, but um, at night, it was if you if you don't know the areas, like it can be kind of scary yeah. walking around at night. Just well, really, I say that as a person who gets scared walking anywhere at night. I know that's what I'm thinking. Like um, I wouldn't walk anywhere at night. Yeah. I'm scared. Yeah, no, that's just how I am. But um, especially in a new place or something, you know, like yeah. that. And then of course there is a lot of nightlife, and there's a lot of people that have been at bars all night long, and like everybody is 
drunk. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. so there's just something that adds like an extra element to that. I didn't know if you had ever been though. No, does you it should. sound like a place I would go and no. even enjoy? It just seems well, like it would be really loud. Well, the daytime and... stuff is fine. You can go sightseeing during the day. To <laughs> see grave sites <laughs> over the thing. No, it looks like a really beautiful city. I just like... I would be in a hotel room at five o'clock and be like, nobody talk to me. I'm not going outside my door. I don't like nightlife. I don't like it. <laughs> well, maybe New Orleans is not the place for you. No, then. it's not. <laughs> but it's a great, great place. John knows that uh, Dana's plan is to save money and to get try to get custody back of her kids. And he suggested that Dana come to move in with him to save on save on expenses. Um, and Dana was really happy to do that. She was excited and happily did that. Uh, Dana's father ended up coming to visit Dana, and he did not like what he saw. He realized that um, his daughter's working, you know, doing these tarot cards, and that's really not maybe like a sustainable income for long. Right. So he was really wanting her to get a real job, and um, he had concerns about her lifestyle. He realized that John was doing drugs. I don't know what drugs he thought he was doing. I know he smoked pot, um, but I don't know what else his, her dad thought he was doing at that point. So after about four years of living sort of a gypsy lifestyle in New Orleans, Dana still has not gotten her kids back, and now she decides she wants to be a writer. And she says that that's kind of always been her dream. So in March 15th, 2002, Dana tells her coworker that she is going to be quitting the deli, and she gives her two weeks notice and says that at the end of the two weeks, she is going to be leaving New Orleans and getting custody of her kids and then going off to write a memoir about her life which actually I think would have been very interesting to read, right? So Dana did not show for one of her last shifts at the deli. And when they tried to get a hold of her, she didn't answer her phone. And this is kind of before everybody had a cell phone in their pocket. So Dana did not have a cell phone. They had to call her at home and uh, she never would answer. So the very next day, John showed up to the deli and told coworkers that Dana was in a terrible accident. And it was really bad. They, I believe the story was that she was riding in a truck and the toolbox came, flew up and hit her in the head or something. Wow. I don't know how you, I mean, that's just craziness. Um, but he said that she was in ICU and the situation was looking really, really bad and she wasn't able to have visitors, but he was going there periodically to see her and that he would report her condition back to the coworkers. So one coworker named Andy kind of noticed some changes in John after this accident of Dana's. Um, he said he wasn't really as neat and meticulous anymore. His personality kind of changed. He believed he was starting to use harder drugs. Um, as Melissa said, John always smoked pot, but um, this coworker, Adam, felt like there was a little something else going on. It wasn't just the weed. Um, so Andy heard rumors about the couple also having bad fights, and one in particular was a few weeks prior during Mardi Gras. So he doesn't really know what to think about the car accident or that nobody's allowed to visit Dana. But he's allowed to visit Dana? That's kind of weird. But John's allowed, right? And they're not married. Right, right. So that doesn't make a lot of sense yeah. because I Normally, understand situations where you can't have visitors, but the only ones that are usually allowed are... Next of kin. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. As the story progresses, you'll find out that like nobody questions anything for some reason in yeah. this whole story. Yeah. I don't understand it. I guess everybody just wants to... The, the good and everything. Well, yeah. I mean, you yeah, know. Yeah, sometimes you ignore stuff just because the the alternative is terrible. Yeah. So weeks go by and, of course, Dana doesn't return to work. And so John tells his boss and coworkers that Dana's parents were actually coming to get her and take her out of town to help her with her treatment and her process of healing from this terrible accident. So he told her coworkers that she was doing great and uh, that – I guess at this point she has healed from her injuries and is now traveling Europe. And eventually she decided that she liked Prague and wanted to just stay there. That was really the last time that anybody at the quartermaster deli heard of Dana. Um, and now they all think that she's just living in Europe and having a great time. Yeah. Living her dream. Which doesn't seem so crazy because she kind of seems like a fly by the seat of your pants right. kind she's of person. She's a very free spirit. Yep. yep. So Kathy would call and John would tell her that Dana was at work. And so Kathy, I guess, you know, he would always have an excuse. Oh, she's down. You know, she's reading tarot cards right now. Or, oh, she just left to go work at the deli. Or she was always somewhere. And um, but Kathy wasn't concerned about Dana's well-being because she would get short emails from Dana every once in a while. Just kind of a, yep, we're doing great. 
working, making money, having a great time down here. Right. So nobody was concerned at all. So three years pass, and it's August 29th of 2005, and that's when Hurricane Katrina has ravaged the whole state of Louisiana and parts of Mississippi, really. So chaos is like an understatement. Yeah, I know. It is. It's Yeah, it's – I mean, you, we watched the news. It was just crazy, and every day, like, the numbers would go up with how many people were dead and missing and the Superdome and all that stuff. It was just so much going on. And um, Dana's family was really worried about her, but they thought that Dana would have ridden the storm out in New Orleans, and she would call when it's over. And so they also know she's kind of in and out, you know, gypsy lifestyle, all that kind of stuff. So the electricity was out and phone lines were down in New Orleans for weeks and there was no way to contact her and they just had to wait. And so many people had to just wait um, to hear from their family members. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It took about two months for the floodwaters to recede in New Orleans, and they had still not had any word from Dana. And Kathy and Dana's father tried to decided he was going to try and track her down at this point after two months. So they contacted the New Orleans Police Department to do a welfare check. And the police have no luck in finding her. Plus, it's still chaos down there. You right. know, there's it a was lot a long going time. on. Yes. Yeah. So to have a missing person isn't that crazy. Remember, people were moving to Houston. People were getting mm-hmm. shipped everywhere. It was insane. So her dad remembered that Dana needed a prescription for her glaucoma, and she had to take it every day. So the pharmacist, so I guess he contacted the pharmacist? No, the officer contacted the pharmacist, rather, to see when the last time was she picked it up. And she had not picked up her prescription for glaucoma for four years. So that was a like big like whoa. Yeah. Um, so this like is what's bef- going on here. Yeah. Before the hurricane, everything. So now they're able to kind of put stuff together like something's some. It's been wrong for a while. Right. And now you're like the wheels start turning. And whenever you hear that, like, oh, it's been four years since she picked that up. And then you start realizing like, well, actually. When's the last time I was on the phone with her? Right. And I haven't seen her or laid Mm -hmm. eyes on her. Like you said, heard her voice or anything like that in this amount of time either. Right. So I can imagine just the wild thoughts that would go through your head. Yeah. In that moment, just realizing that something is definitely not right about the situation. Yeah. So Dana's father called John Morgan, and he reassured her that Dana was doing great. She had gotten uh, a FEMA check, and she decided to take off and go to Europe with it. So now his story is consistent. Now she's she's in Europe. Yes. Now everybody thinks she's in Europe. So the sister of Dana, Kathy, was really happy for Dana. She knew that it was her dream to go to another country, and she never really thought anything was amiss with the whole situation. But you would think in one of these emails, maybe you would just say, we haven't heard from you. Can you just call me? Leave me a voicemail, whatever. I just want to hear your voice. Now that there's like, you don't have your prescription. What are you doing here? Right. Yeah. By October of 2005, 7,000 people were still missing in New Orleans. That is a staggering number. That is a lot of people. Yeah. Um, It was terrible. Yeah. Just thinking back to that whole thing now, it just, oh my goodness, so awful. So on October 21st, Detective Greg Hamilton got a call and it was someone saying that a body had been discovered after being thrown out with some storm debris. So I imagine that this was also not an uncommon call to be getting. Um, Unfortunately, I imagine this is kind of similar to what kind of calls they were getting a lot. Um, But he responded to this and A woman named Kathy Greer was um, at home. Her husband said that he had found a body when he was cleaning a junk room after the hurricane. So um, they had gotten everything out of this junk room except for one thing. It was a wooden trunk. And um, it was left there by Kathy Greer's uh, daughter's boyfriend who had been living at their home for some time uh, prior to the hurricane. And uh, it was his trunk. And after they moved out, he left the trunk in the junk room. So now they're cleaning up from the storm. They're like, we might as well get this whole thing out of here too. So they take the trunk out to the, I guess out to the 
road, you know, to put with the tr- uh, yard trash and everything. Right. And um, it they drop it or one way or another, they discover that there's remains inside of this trunk. And of course, they were shocked. Um, so they called this detective who came down. So the detective is initially thinking this is going to be a Hurricane Katrina right. victim that I'm going to be seeing and that um, he was preparing himself for something like that. So he gets there and sees that the street has already been roped off. There's already officers everywhere, um, all over the area. And he walks up to this woman who takes him to this trunk. And when he opens it up, he realizes that um, this is not a a Hurricane Katrina victim. This is um, mummified remains that have been there for years. And of course, they have no clue who it was. But um, the most bizarre thing I think that he found in the trunk was that there was a curling iron and it still was tangled up in hair. And then it had um, the cord was broken off and it was still in there. So he kind of quickly concluded that whoever this person was, was probably strangled with the cord of this curling iron. There's just so much happening. I feel like with all of that. Yeah, that's. Can you imagine you're in the middle of this hurricane, um, like relief effort that yeah. is going on still, and and then you get this kind of a call, yeah. And this is just something totally different. This has nothing to do with hurricane, yeah. Stuff. And somebody had a dead body in their house for a long Didn't time. Know it. That is quite a junk room to have a dead body and not realize a dead body was in your junk room. I agree. Isn't that? I mean, that's not no fault of theirs, but. I mean, and it wasn't their trunk to go snooping through, so I guess. Yeah, but if you leave my house, I'm going to throw your junk out. Well, they were. Yeah, <laughs> that's what that's they were true. doing. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. These people are geniuses. I, it all makes sense now. So Kathy Greer tells Detective Hamilton that the trunk was left there by her daughter's boyfriend. And she says, oh, also he left a uh, lockbox, or not a lockbox, like a, I guess like a lockbox. Yeah. It was a little lockbox that he also left. And she said, you can have that too. And hopefully you can find him and ask him. Some questions yeah. about this. So, um, well, how scary for her that she realizes, oh, my daughter is with this guy who left a dead body in right. my house. Yeah. Yeah. She actually did say she was like scared for her daughter and, you know, wanted the police, wanted to help the police in any right. way that they, that he, she could. Um, so she gave the detective the lockbox and she told the detective that her daughter's boyfriend's name was John Morgan. And she said that she also knew that John's ex-girlfriend um, before her daughter was Dana Pastore. So the officer now had this information to go back with and um, and to just kind of, I guess, use as a lead. I don't know right, where you go yeah. with that. But um, I guess the point was now going to be to find him and question him. So the police go through this lockbox and find that it contains several different identification documents um, for various people, social security cards, driver's license. Okay, why? Why does he have this information? Yeah. That's, I don't get that. So the police called phone numbers associated with each identity to find out, obviously, if they're okay. We've found a body and now we have all this information. This is like a huge puzzle at this point. So Detective Hamilton speaks with the landlord, Maria, at an apartment where John and Dana used to live. Um, And Maria says that she stopped seeing Dana in 2002. And when she asked John about it later, he said that she had an accident and was now living in South Carolina. It's got to be tough for him to keep all these stories straight. I know. I could never do any of this. I would be caught the first day because I would say, forget it. I don't remember. What did I tell you? Where did I tell you she was? That's where she is. Hamilton showed Maria a photo of the wooden trunk, and she said that she had last seen it in December 2004 when John was moving out, and he said it belonged to his new girlfriend named Tracy. So this dude's just dragging this body all around town. I do not understand this at all. Does it make it? I don't get why you would drag it from one residence to another. I don't either. You literally have a carrying thing. Can't you bring it to a dump? That sounds terrible, but well, like, I wouldn't why are you carrying it, it with I you? I know. I don't know. I It doesn't seem like serial killer, like like a um, trophy or anything. I honestly think it was just more of like, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. I guess. I guess. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. So when Maria went in to clean the apartment after John moved out, she noticed that there was a foul smell, but she chalked it up to the dead rats that John said were there, that there was an infestation. Good grief. I know. There's so much going on here. 
So Detective Hamilton said it was definitely the smell of human decay. So can you imagine being her and knowing, man, those are some bad tenants. And she's just like the sweet landlady, like, have no clue. I think it's rats in the walls. Yeah. And like the, the officer is like, no. But what kind of place are you running that yeah. you think there's like rats in the wall? And you're like, well, that makes sense. <laughs> I get it. So Maria took him to the kitchen upstairs and showed him a small crawl space in the wall. And there were actual stains that were visible in the crawl space, which, ugh. And obviously there was a strong smell. And so they bring forensics in at this point and conclude that there was blood present. And they still need more information um, to determine if the DNA will actually match that of Dana's. So the uh, body from the trunk was brought in for an autopsy and the coroner's office determined that it they found that the body was in fact strangled and John Morgan is now the prime suspect in a murder. They right. still have not positively ID'd um, the body at this point, but they know something went down in your apartment and in this crawl space and we don't know what it is, but yeah, we think you might've killed someone. Right. So um, they were looking for him. So November 14th, 2005, John was living with his girlfriend, Tracy Greer, and this is still um, Kathy Greer, the one who found the body, still living with her daughter, still right. dating her. Um, officers visited him and told him that they found a body and they believed it was Dana Pastore. So John denied knowing that Dana was dead, but he did acknowledge that they had dated and he told the officer that Dana had gone out of town last he heard. Um, which at this point would have been years which ago. Which town, buddy? Which yeah, one? Yeah, yeah exactly. Prague, is he in South Carolina? Right. Where, where are you at? So Detective Hamilton still had to confirm Dana's DNA, and he con- he started contacting her family um, to try and get samples to compare to. So I want to stop here because we didn't even mention, Melissa, about the Golden State Killer being caught. Yeah. And this part of the story just kind of reminded me of that because that's kind of how they caught him was by matching – ancestors DNA to the crime scenes from those cases. And so that is, I have so many feelings and thoughts about that whole thing. Oh, I know you do. But I think it was kind of like a, somebody was looking for their ancestors. Like I read today, so we don't know if this is true, but as of today, this is what we're reading, that maybe his sister wanted to do one of those ancestry things and gave up her DNA, but either it's like an opt-in or an opt-out thing where they can use it. But I read that she kind of used it outside of like um, Ancestry.com. Like it was more detailed that she was going into. And so at this point, the Golden State Killer, their big anniversary, 40th anniversary of him being out there, his first attack was last year. So they've got a whole new task force. All hands are on deck. So they're looking for these kind of things, which is amazing. No, I think it's amazing. amazing. I think it's absolutely amazing. No, I know amazing. you do, but I know you're like – you're in conspiracy theory land and think that now if you do that, that the government is going to track you down and maybe clone you. I don't know what you think is the next step there. I don't either. Yeah. So if you are, if you're looking for information on the Golden State Killer criminology podcast, yes. their second season that they're in the middle of, they were on like the 10th episode. They have interviews with the victims. They have all kinds of stuff. Cannot recommend them enough. They do a really great job. There's several podcasts that have done it, but that's like our go-to. For sure. So when the detective contacted Peter, Dana's father, he was, of course, very confused because he believed that Dana was living the good life in Prague, just writing her memoir and enjoying like a Woody her Allen life. movie. Yeah. So and Kathy was also baffled. Of course, she had been emailing back and forth with Dana and was also happy for her and thought she had this great life that she yeah. had always you know, wanted to have. That's just really I don't. I can't even put myself in the shoes no. of them to like be realizing all of this. Like that's a lot at one time. Yeah. And that's years. It's not last week this happened. This right. is four years ago. And what signs did I miss? You know, that you're just right. going to have those And you've been living questions. your life as yeah. normal this whole time. Mm-hmm. I just, that would be heartbreaking. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So there was a lot of flood damage in New Orleans. As we spoke about, the labs were damaged. So they had to simp. Uh, send samples to Quantico, Virginia for testing. But of course, there's a large backlog because there's always a large backlog with DNA, which there's a lot to be said about that. Um, So July 9th, 2007, two years after the remains were found, Hamilton gets a call from the lab confirming the DNA matches Dana. 
So that's infuriating because you've got this guy who you think killed somebody and he's just living his life for two years. They don't have enough to hold him on. Obviously, they need the DNA to see if it's even her, but still has a dead body. Yeah. (laughs) He's been lugging around New Orleans. So so you're guilty of something. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I mean, (laughs) you're not guilty of anything until you're in court and blah, 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 and you're proven guilty, Mandy. Right. Can't throw that word around. I know. But I get what you're saying. Like, there's a lot of suspicion there. But if you don't even know who it is, then what do you I I get it. Could be like it's he could be like one of those creepy people that like carry around their dead mother or something. Or like what there's a show about legal. I don't think you're allowed to like you can't actually carry their like corpse around. (laughs) I mean, you're not wearing it. I don't know. No, there's like this what is, is going the, in a bad direction. Let's it's move getting on. hot in here. I'm. <laughs> I hate that we can't have the AC on. February twenty first, two thousand eight. John was put in jail to await trial. At this point, John changes his story. He says he knows about Dana's death, but he's not the one that killed her. He thinks his drug dealer did it. Wow, that is what. <laughs> so he. <laughs> This is so insulting all the way around to just everyone in this story. So he says that he and Dana have a fight about his drug issue, his drug use. Um, Because as like everybody's kind of said in this story, his drug use seemed to get more and more around this time. And that um, Dana threatened to call the cops. Well, I believe that could be part of the story. Yeah. I believe there's probably some truth in there. Um, So he leaves for work at this point and doesn't return home that night, but he decides to call his drug dealer, I guess, to say, hey, she's going to rat us out. Rat us out. And so then his drug dealer comes to the house, it's John's story, um, and kills her. The next morning, John goes home and she was dead. So he said, I'll put her in the trunk. There's another piece of the story um, that I found out um, through reading things online. Apparently, he actually like dismembered her body. Like he removed her arms and legs. And um, that part was kind of glossed over in the documentary show that I watched on this. But um, that just is another element to things, I feel like. I just feel like that's different than just... That's not finding your girlfriend dead from your drug, drug dealer. That's I'm hiding something. Right. Yeah. There's It's all self... What is the word I'm looking for? So, like, what is the word I'm looking for? I don't self- know. Self... <laughs> Preservation? Preservation, thank you. I almost said self-salvation. That doesn't make sense. So detectives are not buying this story because, of course, it makes no sense. Who who sends a drug dealer to kill? I I don't get that. No, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I feel like clearly. No, I don't get it. So they obviously believe that John killed her. So July 29th, 2009, John was convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to life without parole. His appeals have been denied. And he is currently serving time in Angola Prison in Louisiana, where he belongs. Absolutely. Man, just heartbreaking all around for all the family members. And she, you know, reunites with her dad after all these years and develops this relationship with her sister. It just, you think of like what could have happened and these girls and if she had gotten her life together and, you know, things could have been really different. So, yeah, I agree. It's a sad story. Um, There's a lot happening in it. The blog that I had found um, by one of Dana's daughters, it's kind of um, sad to read through. There's a lot like she just had a really hard life, um, you know, growing up, it sounds like. But she um, seems like she's doing okay now. She's in her 20s and she like goes to college, I guess. And yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah. And she's has the wherewithal to write a blog. So at least, you know. Yeah. We're not going to link anything about her blog because obviously she wants to kind of. Keep it to yourself. Absolutely. So now you guys understand why we don't have that. So I just pulled a last thing before we go from last week. This is from Faith S. I thought this would be fun. Favorite childhood TV shows. Did you watch TV as a kid, Mandy? I did. I don't really remember a lot of stuff that I watched, though. Did you watch TGIF? Nope. What? Mandy, (laughs) step-by-step, growing pains. No. Mandy. (laughs) This is rocking my world. Family Matters. Full House? I watched a little bit of Full House. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I don't even – I want to flip this table right now. I'm so upset. What did you do with your life if you weren't watching TV on a Friday night? I don't know. As a kid? Did you play? (laughs) Did you have plays as a kid on a Friday night? Well, my dad was always, like, monopolizing the TV, so that's probably why I didn't watch a lot of it. And we weren't allowed to have TVs, like, in our bedrooms. No, we weren't either. 
So I didn't have like access to TV a lot as a kid. I had a very sad childhood. I apparently. mean, based on this, if you didn't have TJF in your life, Urkel, you know who Urkel is? Steve Urkel? I know who he is. <laughs> dinosaurs? Did you watch dinosaurs? Okay, I'm just going to oh, go through my dinosaurs. list. dinosaurs. Yes, I did watch dinosaurs. I'm the baby. And yes, I love the dinosaurs. And um, <laughs> this one you do not love, but um, – the little creepy true crime and horror loving child in me also watched that show, Tales from the Crypt. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> or Are You Afraid of the Dark? Did you watch yes, Are You Afraid I of did. the Dark? Yes. Well, th- see, I did watch TV, but thank you for jogging my memory on what I watched. <laughs> yeah. Think Nickelodeon, uh, Family Dare, Double Dare. Yeah. yeah That's yeah, coming yeah. back. I'm Gak? super excited. Gak. <laughs> Who just yells Gak? You're not a Kathy cartoon. <laughs> I don't even know what's happening right now. Do you now. even know what a Kathy cartoon is? No, I'm, I'm wasting don't. so much good material on you, Mandy. I'm just going to keep it inside. Okay. Okay. So I loved Step by Step, um, Day by Day. Did you watch Perfect Strangers? No. Balky and Larry? You did not know Balky and Larry? I did oh, not. I love that show. Home, home Improvement? Yes. Home Improvement. Okay. For home sure. Improvement. Tim the Toolman Taylor. I loved all of that. Pamela Anderson was on there before we knew her as Pamela Anderson. Wait, is that not her real name? <laughs> no, but before we knew who she was, oh. like she was on. <laughs> she broke into stardom. It also might not be her name. No, they found her like on a Jumbotron or something at like a game and that's how she was discovered. Can you imagine being that hot that people are like, <laughs> your career started because people thought you were pretty in the crowd? What? I Never. They would have pushed right me word. out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, not. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I loved so much TV. Like I, I love thinking about TV from whenever I was a kid. But we used to watch like Andy Griffith. My dad loved Andy Griffith. All those old shows. My husband hates everything in black and white. He just hates it so much. He says it reminds him of Sunday afternoons, which is like the most depressing time of the week because you're about to go back to work. So, yeah. Yeah. So, Gunsmoke, all of those. Did you watch Little House on the Prairie? Not really. Did you have a childhood? (laughs) I have to talk to your mom because this is all (laughs) really upsetting for me. So, sorry, Faith. We screwed that up. Mandy doesn't even know what she watched as a kid. Um, (laughs) But she watched Dinosaur, so I'll give her that. That's fair. Okay. Dear God, help us. (laughs) All right. Are you done? I'm done here. Are you done? I'm done. (laughs) I can't get any angrier in this kind of weather or like heat in here. Okay. Thank you guys for listening to the show this week. Um, We'll be back next week, hopefully. (laughs) I die of heat exhaustion. Oh, I didn't mention it in the beginning, but this is our 40th episode. Oh, hey. Hey. They've already turned it off. I would have to. Don't worry. Goodbye. Get out of here. <laughs> Bye, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much. <laughs>